Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Happy New Year. We are back Happy New Year. for another episode of MASH Matters. I'm Ryan Patrick alongside my friend Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ryan Patrick, and a happy 2022 to you, too. How about that, huh? We made it. We did. Wow. Now, what the heck is in store for us? I have no idea, but yeah. all I know is that uh, we're going to keep churning these episodes out as long as we possibly can Darn right. until the apocalypse happens, <laughs> yeah, which is in about, uh, well, any yeah, minute now, I think, right? 20, 30 minutes, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, so I looked it up, Jeff. The last time we did a season recap was December of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yep, that was when we did our season five recap, mm. and then we joked that it would be a long time before we did our season six, and uh, well, it turned out to be not so much of a joke. We actually went all of 2021 without doing any season recap, so we are back for the new year, and we are back with our season six recap, and I'm just going to go ahead and drop the uh, cat in the punch bowl here and say, this is a little awkward, Jeff, because this is the season mm-hmm. where mm, you were fired. <laughs> I mean, we're just going to say it. <laughs> if you have not listened yep. to it, uh, go back and listen to episode 28, the infamous episode mm. 28, where we talked about an incident that happened in the season opener of season six, uh, where you, mm-hmm. you were relieved of your duties. I was castigated. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's a little awkward to uh, be going through season six with you talking about episodes that you were not a part of. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm going to be very quiet here. So this is going to be an evening with Ryan Patrick. Sit back and get ready for the golden zones. Uh, We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on here. Do do we have to? Well, (laughs) have to talk about it, do we? This will be therapy for you, Jeff. Yeah, okay. Okay. Let me lay down. I'm laying down. Let's just start it off here by, uh, Jeff, why don't you run through a list of the episodes that you were not in? (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd be more than happy to for the goodness of our podcast, Mash Matters. Yeah. All right. I'm okay. So I'm just going to read all the episodes that I had nothing to do with. Yes. And that broke my heart. Right. All right. This will be good for you. Yeah. Okay. Starting with number one, fade out, fade in. (laughs) I don't know if I can get through it. Be strong. Fallen idol, last laugh, war of nerves, the Winchester tapes, the light that failed in love and war, change day, images, the mash Olympics, the grim reaper, comrades in arms, part one and part two the merchant of Korea, the smell of music, and then the smell of Korea. No, 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 that's not That's what, the smell of music, patent 4077, tea and empathy, your hit parade, what's up, doc? Mail call three, temporary duty, Potter's retirement, Dr. Winchester and Mr. Hyde, and to top them all off, Major Topper. And that is our season six recap. Thank, Thank you for you. tuning in. Wonderful. All right. Bye bye. Season six. Uh, this is the first season for David Ogden Styers as Winchester. Kind of a first and a last, isn't it? First <laughs> season for David Ogden Styers and uh-huh. almost the last season for Jeff Maxwell. Almost. Almost. But at least this story has a happy ending, Jeff. It does. Yes, it does. Let's see. Executive producer Edward Metcalf takes over for Gene Reynolds. We have a new dynamic for Margaret, who is now unhappily married. 
And Jeff, I know this season is challenging for you. I want you to know that two, not one, but two of my least favorite episodes are in this season. Thank goodness. I appreciate that. Yeah, fine. That, and they should be. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to say what they are. We've got enough negativity in the world. I don't need to be out here saying that two particular episodes stink because there are going to be some people out there who think that those particular episodes are fantastic. Well, they would be wrong, wouldn't they? Even though they're wrong, uh, I don't want that, you know, we're not going to start any arguments. I'm just going to say two of my least favorite episodes in this season. So you're welcome. Well, that's very interesting. You know, and, and again, we're, we're not here to be uh, a politically correct or incorrect. We're not here to anger any ire <laughs> or, or ire any anger or one of those uh-huh. uh, or change your tire. It doesn't matter. We're not here to do any of those three things. We're just here to have a good time and dump all over something. But <laughs> We don't know what. Well, let's start dumping, shall we? Uh, All right. Well, I'll be happy to. Let's go just uh, start from the top and mm-hmm. go through the season episode by episode. We'll read some listener comments. We put this out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and uh, we had a lot of comments about listeners' favorite episodes. So let's start with the uh, season opener, the episode actually that you were in, Jeff. At least uh, we saw you. We didn't hear you, but we saw you yes, in uh, Fade we- Out, Fade In, Parts 1 and 2. And uh, let's read some of the listener comments. Oh. I'll start sobbing now. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) James says, fade out, fade in. It was a great transition from Frank Burns to Winchester. As a matter of fact, I agree. Mm -hmm. I, before I went sobbing and wanted to jump off a roof, I thought it was very good. I did enjoy it. I thought it was a really uh, well done a transition. I thought it was a lot of fun. I agree. And it was fun to see Winchester and it was fun to see him all clean. He looked so wonderful in that <laughs> when he when he first saw him and then, you know, <laughs> cut to him dirty and filthy when he showed up at the camp. That was fun. <laughs> anyway, James said, Frank has an off-screen nervous breakdown after Margaret's marriage and Winchester gets deported to the 4077 because Colonel Baldwin didn't want to pay him a cribbage debt. Yes. Interesting. Celeste says there were different transitions with many of the characters in this one like always there were serious moments for some but always followed by enough humor to make each episode so enjoyable and george he says so many great episodes this season i'll have to say fade out fade in because we learn pretty early that burns replacement is no frank burns-esque pushover and david from the uk says my choice is fade in fade out it's a textbook example of how to introduce and then integrate a major new character <laughs> no pun intended mm-hmm. into a long-running series there's a fan fantastic character set up in the cribbage game and then bam they drop winchester right into the thick of the action and make him an essential part of it via the dr bergman story and yeah i agree i think they did a great job of introducing winchester in fact you mentioned that he shows up so dirty what's interesting is winchester arrives dirty on an old cart and then flash forward to the finale he leaves camp in a garbage truck (laughs) i don't know if that was a uh, conscious callback that they did but it is kind of interesting how he arrives and leaves camp in a way that is not befitting at winchester yeah we say goodbye to frank burns he's all off screen we say hello to charles you know he he gets sent to the 4077 because of a cribbage debt that debt is 672 dollars and 17 cents and i wondered if we adjusted that for inflation how much would that be today (laughs) Because, you know, when you think $672.17, I mean, that's that's not 
an insignificant amount of money, but it seems like that's not enough of a debt to send somebody off to work at, at the front. Yeah. But adjusted for inflation in 2022, that would be $6,606.90. Really? Yeah. So in that case, yeah, I would send them to the front. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Do you do you ever did you ever play cribbage? I have never played cribbage. I don't know how to play it. Wouldn't know how to play it. If they said here's a gun to your head, play the game, I'd be dead because I don't know how to play cribbage. Yeah. It doesn't look like a really fun game. It's got like <laughs> but, little pegs yeah. and yeah, little pegs cards are involved yeah. and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. anybody's a cribbage player, please uh let us know. But I've never played it. I really like the dynamic of Potter and Charles. Nobody else in camp intimidates Charles. Henry would not have had the same effect on Charles. In fact, Charles would have intimidated Henry. But Potter intimidates the heck out of Charles. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. We we talked about, you know, Winchester, the parallels of him leaving and arriving. Uh, Frank's departure in the series is also very similar to the departure of Frank Burns in the movie. Spoiler alert, if you've never seen the movie, Frank goes crazy. He attacks Hawkeye and is sent away for psychiatric observation. So uh, very similar (laughs) in both the show and the movie that Frank kind (laughs) of loses his mind. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of enjoyed the, uh, and I think I'm getting this right, the opening scene with Radar and Potter when they're smoking a cigar. Relax. Cigar? Want to stop my growth? What do you got to lose? Does it happen for me? No, nah, I've been smoking five cigars a day for 45 years. Never got the habit. Well, that's good to know. I, I thought that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed him trying to understand how to smoke a cigar. The, the jokes that went back and forth were really cute. But what's interesting is that Radar had smoked cigars before in season one. Oh. They, in fact, there's one episode in particular, I believe it's Chief Surgeon Who. He is smoking a cigar when the general walks in. <laughs> and now we flash forward and it looks like he's getting sick learning how to smoke one with Potter. Yeah. That's some of the uh, continuity issues that we've discussed before. Yeah. And then a notable guest star, Rick Hurst, appearing as uh, Captain slash Private Schaefer. Rick would go on and be probably best known in his role as Cletus from the Duke of Hazard. And the only other thing I found for this episode is this is the first mention of Radar's middle name, Walter Eugene O'Reilly, which is the namesake of my dog, Walter Eugene Patrick. (laughs) Well, what a nice tribute. What a nice tribute. As we've mentioned, this is the infamous scene uh, that we talk about in episode 28, where your face is there, but Johnny Hamer's voice is there. And this has been one of the first times that you've really gone back and revisited this episode since then. What were your thoughts as you were watching this, Jeff? Just let me take another sip of gin and I'll go into that with you. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yes, I had not seen that scene in a long, long time. The the events surrounding it and what came after the scene were very painful. They they are still painful. (laughs) When I watched it, I went, oh, this is painful because something happened. And somebody decided that whatever I did was not compatible with what they thought the scene should be. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that, quite frankly, because I watched that scene and as I took a great big deep breath and I held it and I watched it. And I honestly really would like to get some of the people who did what they did and say, what were you thinking? thinking. Number one, I looked adorable. Did I not look adorable or what? I look like a movie star Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that hat on and my hair looked great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm telling you, I had great hair then. (laughs) 
And I was thrilled with the way my hair looked and the way I looked. I thought, wow, this guy looks pretty good. And when I started talking and when we did the scene, I thought, what's wrong here? Mm -hmm. And as we said off mic a little earlier, I've been very comfortable using my face. <laughs> and when I, when I talk and certain times when I move my face in certain ways, I know what my voice sounds like and kind of vice versa. And so when I watched the scene, I was dead on with that, with those lines. I was dead on with the delivery. I was dead on with everything. All you could hear was poor Johnny Hamer's voice, but I know how I was delivering those lines, and I know I did them really well. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened. I really don't. It's, it's a real mystery to me as to why somebody would have objected to what I did. And had it been terrible, the director could have said, hey, Jeff, uh, you know, get, get the energy up or stop talking, you know, like you're talking through your ears. Mm -hmm. He could have said numerous things to me and I would have adjusted it immediately. But he didn't think it was bad. Nobody that was watching it thought it was bad because there were a lot of people on the set at the time. A lot of the writers, producers, everybody was on that set watching that scene. So I don't know what happened. It's a real mystery. But I have to admit, after all these years, it still hurts. Hmm. But I'll get over it. I'm a big boy. <laughs> and that's the story. And in terms of getting fired, it wasn't really a you're fired, but it was a gosh, let's just skip this season. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and it turned out better. It, there, Like you said, it was a happy ending. Mm -hmm. Saner minds got together and went, wait a minute, where is this guy? It was fun. Let's put him back. Yeah. Okay. So I apologize to all of you that had <laughs> to sit through this <laughs> crybaby stuff. I don't know Man, I didn't really, my face was good. Did my hair look good? But that's what happened. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. We need to move on because otherwise this is going to be a five-hour long episode. This is going to... We're going we're gonna to move on. But true to this season, Jeff, I think uh, at this point, I think I'm just going to let you go. And then I'll just do the rest of this episode myself. <laughs> It's nothing you did. Uh, I just think it would be best if you took the rest of this episode off. That, you know, that is appropriate. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm so glad you laughed at that joke. <laughs> it was a joke? What do you mean a joke? I'm out of the chair. Hey, have a good time, Ryan. All right. Let's move on to uh, Fallen Idol and some listener comments. Uh, Fallen Idol. <laughs> Oops, fallen. I, oh, I'm on the wrong page. Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay, hang on. Get on the right uh, page, see. Jeff. Come on. Yeah. Get with uh, it. See, this is why I this got is... canned. <laughs> I don't even know what page I'm on. Oh, there it is. Okay. Hey, VCR Brad on Twitter says the season six episode Fallen Island is honestly one of my top 10 favorite MASH episodes of all time. It just twists the relationship between Radar and Hawkeye in interesting ways. The big kid brother relationship, a friendship kind of collapses and rebuilds as Hawkeye's emotions get to him in a way that hadn't really occurred on the show where he personally loses control with a friend instead of a head officer. It's also one of Gary Berghoff's best dramatic performances. Kawan on Twitter says, Fallen Idol is my personal favorite. The relationship between Hawkeye and Radar has always been my favorite. But for me, this episode is when the show points out the realistic flaws of the way these two see each other. I read this episode as Hawkeye and Radar start seeing one another as a real person, not their own perception of the other. Especially with Radar, because I do not think he didn't know that Hawkeye was not perfect before this event. But it's more about him needing someone to cling on to. And Dave David writes, it makes no logical sense that doctors get drunk all the time, but it's wonderful at peeling back the layers of Hawkeye and Radar's relationship. I think that's my biggest issue I've had with this episode. And I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to say right now, this is not one of my two least favorite episodes, mm -hmm. okay. even though I'm going to criticize
criticize it a bit. I've always had a little bit of an issue with this episode because it seems so kind of out of character mm-hmm. for both Hawkeye and Radar. But I understand what Tawan was saying there. And, you know, that it was an opportunity for them to see each other as they really are. But one of my issues is all the doctors drink. All the doctors get plastered. And so it seems a little overly preachy after years of everybody drinking and getting blitzed to suddenly have an episode where they're calling Hawkeye out for doing it and everybody else getting off scot-free. So David, he said, making no logical sense because the doctors get drunk all the time. I agree, David. Well, this particular episode is uh, interesting because if I remember correctly... And I was there for various reasons, hmm. even though they banned me <laughs> from, I was, I, I couldn't come onto the soundstage, but I was there and I could listen to the door. <laughs> there was a, I don't know how to say that, not a fight, but there was, if I remember correctly, I'll say it again, there was some uh, skirmish between Alan and Gary. Hmm. And that skirmish and the way that Gary felt and the conversations that he had with Alan about that position that he was taking was, I believe, the uh, impetus for this particular episode. Interesting. Yeah. There was something that was going on. And some of the dialogue about, you know, uh, I think he said, well, we look up to you and we want to be like you and things like that. Well, a lot of people don't look at it like you were sick, Hawkeye. A lot of people look up to you here. They admire you and they kind of feel like they want to be like you. That was a feeling, uh, I think, on the set uh, because people did look up to Alan Alda and they should. He was a, he's a remarkably talented individual, brilliant guy. And, you know, why, if you're going to look up to somebody, why not Alan Alda? But that concept, I think, motivated some disagreement and some problem between Gary and Alan for the moment. It wasn't it wasn't long lasting, yeah. but it was also kind of the motivation for the episode, I believe. How about that? Is this a scoop? I think it's a scoop. Probably oh. Alan would say, you're an idiot. Why? No wonder you were canned. You shouldn't have been allowed on the set. And Gary may say the same thing. But I remember something going on. Okay. So, Interesting. All right. Yeah. So it may be a scoop. Yes. All right. But I didn't say it. Don't say I said oh, anything. No, it's uh, not me. Okay. Johnny Hamer said it. Don, yeah. <laughs> it was your face, but it was certainly his voice who said it. Exactly. Perfect. Yes. All right. Let's move on to Last Laugh. Fleetwood Hawk on Twitter says, I really enjoyed Last Laugh. James Cromwell was a great guest star, and it was amusing watching him prank BJ and Hawkeye. I also liked watching BJ buddy around with somebody other than Hawkeye, a glimpse into his Californian civilian life before he was drafted. Now, this is an interesting moment as well, because James Cromwell auditioned for the part of BJ. Yeah. And I happened to be there and watched the auditions, and I saw James, and I saw... uh, Mike Farrell audition, and they were both very, very good. I mean, I'll say it now. This may be a scoop. Of all of the people that auditioned that I watched, I thought James Cromwell was going to get the part. Hmm. Not to say that Mike Farrell wasn't wonderful, and he was, and he is to this day. I love him dearly. Uh, He's a brilliantly talented man, a great actor. But there were moments that I saw that I thought, wow, Cromwell is really nailing some of this. And he just was a different thing. There was a different energy. And I thought, wow, he's going to get the part. But he didn't. And the guy who got the part was the right decision mm-hmm. because he brought stuff to that part that uh, Cromwell wouldn't have 
brought. Mm -hmm. Cromwell would have come in with his own cache of stuff. Yes. uh, But it wouldn't have been the Mike Farrell that made it wonderful between he and Hawkeye. But I thought watching all of them, Cromwell was going to get that part. Wow, you're just full of scoops today. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm blowing the whole thing right now. <laughs> what have I got to lose? <laughs> They're not paying my rent, you know. I've got some stuff to say, and I'm yeah. Say it. <laughs> Another guest star was Robert Karen, who played Major General Fox. He's the uh, general who's accusing BJ of causing the disturbance at the hotel. He also played a colonel. Earlier in the season, in BJ's first episode, Welcome to Korea, he plays the colonel who doesn't approve of Radar's experimental rank of corporal captain. Mm. So uh, this is one of many occasions where you see the same actor showing back up on MASH in different roles. And we're going to see quite a few more actors show up in different roles this season. And then this is interesting, too. This is the third episode of the new season, and Winchester doesn't appear which really blows my mind. How do you introduce this brand new major character and then three episodes in, he's not around? Well, now he knows how I feel. (laughs) Something also that I didn't realize, the MP that actually comes to arrest BJ, who tells BJ, come with us. We're from the Provo, Marshal, and I'm sorry to say you're under arrest, sir. That's actor John Ashton. I didn't recognize him without his mustache. He would go on to appear in many movies and television shows, most notably as Detective John Taggart in the first two Beverly Hills Cop movies. And I also love him in the movie Midnight Run, but I didn't realize that that's John Ashton Mm -hmm. because uh, he didn't have his mustache. Mm -hmm. Klinger, he has an imaginary camel in this episode named Habibi. (laughs) Flash forward to 2003, Jamie Farr and his wife, Joy, they published a children's book called A Baby's Christmas Eve about a camel. And this, you know, going back and talking about the the previous episode, Fallen Idol, everybody gets drunk. All the doctors get drunk all the time. In this episode, Potter falls down because he's so drunk. Did I fall down? No. I didn't think so. Yet he's berating Hawkeye for doing it. Yeah. Again, that's where I just kind of have issues. But anyway, (laughs) enough about me. Well, if what I say actually had any validity to it regarding the relationship between Alan and Gary as real human beings and on the set and the way they felt about each other at any given moment, they had to use something as a a storyline in order to start that conflict. Mm -hmm. So probably that was the easiest thing to do. All right. So there were several episodes that received many more comments from listeners than others. And this next episode is one of the ones who received multiple comments. This is War of Nerves. Cindy, what are you doing here? I don't know. I thought I was getting on the Crosstown bus. Do you give transfers here? (laughs) You get this red stuff all over your head. Well, you might find it hard to believe, but I was doing therapy in a foxhole with that boy. Mr. Fixit46 on Instagram says, War of Nerds. <laughs> Nerds? War of Nerds? <laughs> no, that's a different movie. War of Nerves. It is quintessential mash. It has the perfect balance of comedy and drama, which the show so boldly pioneered. And it has Sidney Friedman, the best recurring guest star on that show. Wait a minute. Okay, <laughs> This is killing me this season six. The scene where the entire camp sings around the fire is a beautiful moment that brings me into their world. I really feel for these people who are in such a horrific war so far from home during that scene. And also, it doesn't have a happy ending for Sidney. His patient leaves on bad circumstances. That's one of my favorite elements of this and other MASH episodes. There's not always a happy ending. It's war and bad things happen when people are forever changed. 
This is why MASH is my favorite show and why it has to be recognized as the best American television show of all time. I agree. Wow, Mr. Fix-It. Oh, thank you. That's pretty cool. Philip says, I was tempted to choose one of the episodes featuring Charles as this season establishes him as the perfect foil for Hawkeye and BJ, but I have to go with War of Nerves. Any episode with Sidney Freeman is a must-see for me. Alan Arbus played that character so well as he interacted and helped each of the different characters from Margaret and Charles arguing about his nose scratching to Klinger actually thinking he was crazy to Radar wondering if something was wrong for him sleeping with a teddy bear, which Sidney correctly diagnoses that he wouldn't need. The best interaction may have been between Sidney and Father Mulcahy as Mulcahy helps cheer him up after the incident with the wounded soldier he sent back to the front. Again, a precursor to the finale with sending Hawkeye back to the 4077. Well, I, I've come about a friend. I see. What's his problem? Well, things aren't going so well for him, and he's feeling a little low. Who is your friend, Father? You. This might be my favorite Sydney episode. We also see a return of Michael O'Keefe. How am I feeling? You crud. I'll tell you how I'm feeling. I feel like I had my damn legs blown off. How do you think I'm feeling? His second guest appearance. In both episodes that Michael O'Keefe was on, he plays a character who recovers from hysterical paralysis (laughs) and was sent back to the front. Uh, But in this episode, he has a different name. So it's not the same character. But for some reason, once again, it's a MASH thing, bringing back the same actor for different roles. And speaking of actors in different roles, and I, I don't mean to rub any salt in your wound, but Peter Rieger. Yeah, Peter makes Rieger. His first yeah, of yeah. two appearances. Yeah. But for some yeah. reason, he is credited as Private Igor. Yeah. And Peter. it makes no sense to me whatsoever why they say Private Igor because he's not cooking. No. He ha- it has nothing to do with the character of Igor. It's just for some reason he's credited as Igor. So I, I consider him a counterfeit Igor. He makes his first of two appearances he's also in change day later this season but yeah that that's just weird i'm just gonna say it. it's weird yeah do you know how to sew up a wrist can you tell me <laughs> step by step yes peter rieger a fine actor i've loved him in all things except uh, mash he's just uh, <laughs> badly cast <laughs> very badly miscast as a matter of fact i agree, I agree. well here's uh, a scoop he, he is miscast actually his whole name is miscast but don't tell him. No, he's a wonderful actor. I don't know what happened. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Somebody went crazy yes. for a little bit. Yeah. Somebody just went out of their mind. I don't know what happened. Let's just move on. Uh, the Winchester tapes. Uh, the MASH historian on Instagram says we get to see the MASH world from Charles's point of view. And the scene of him pulling the rubber chicken out of the teapot gets me every time. Mother and dad, I will put this as eloquently and succinctly as possible. Get me the hell out of here! And BJ says, the Winchester tapes, his fresh, haughty point of view is a delight. The descriptions of the other characters are perfectly written for his voice. And Ron says, season six has my favorite bit of the entire series, which pays off with the best punchline as well. In the Winchester tapes, BJ messes with Charles, making him think he is losing and gaining weight. The payoff line, starting tomorrow, he gets taller. Knocks me off of the couch with laughter every time. Yeah, I love that moment too. This has my favorite of all of Colonel Potter's paintings, which is Angry Charles. Don't change the color of your face. I'm out of umber. There's a moment when Charles gives a gift to Radar. He gives him a crate of grape knee high. 
But when Radar pulls the bottle out, the liquid is obviously orange. (laughs) Yeah. There is nothing purple or grape about it. I don't know. And I want to know more about this cockroach collection that takes an hour to see. Hey, listen, while you're waiting, uh, have you seen our cockroach collection? Uh, No. Takes an hour, but it's well worth the time. All right. Are we into the light that failed? Yes. All right. Brandiger Brot on Instagram says, The light that failed, it just makes me unbridled Jessica. (laughs) Cece on Twitter says, The light that failed both because it fleshes out Charles better and because the camp's obsession with the mystery, escalation, and refusal to do the simple thing, which is to call Peg and to get her to buy another copy of the book, is beyond hilarious. And I think we talked about in the last episode, we don't know who sent him the book. Listener Greg has a theory, though. He thinks that Leo Bardinero, who is the practical Joker played by James Cromwell earlier in the season, that Leo Bardinero is the one that sent the book because it would be the ultimate practical joke. That is not a bad theory, Mm -hmm. that Leo would have ripped out the final page of the book and then sent the book to BJ. Greg, I think you might be onto something. I like that theory. Wow, this is big. This is a scoop, maybe. Yeah. Wow. And then there are several episodes this season where Radar does not appear. Doing a little digging found on Wikipedia that Gary had appeared in every episode of the show's first three seasons and it became a strain on him and his family life. And so he had his contract changed to limit his appearances to 13 episodes per season instead of 24. That makes a little more sense because he is just notably absent from about half of the episodes this season. And I do recall he was having issues and family issues that we all Mm -hmm. have various times in our lives. And I think the pressure of that combined with the consistency of his appearances on MASH kind of clashed a little bit and I think he needed some time as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the first of three episodes in a row where he does not appear. The next episode being In Love and War. And uh, we have several listener comments on this one as well. Mrs. Ann Hicks on Twitter says there are a lot of good ones in this season. I think mine would be In Love and War. We see Hawkeye in the early stages of love that we don't normally see. It's a different side. We see this really beautiful love between two people interrupted by the reality of the war. And Walter says, easily in love and war, brilliantly acted by Alan Alda and a wonderfully written script where we see a different side to Hawkeye. Eric says, in love and war, just recently watched a rewatch the entire series, and this one particularly got to me. As a kid in the 80s watching MASH, this one never really struck me. But as a man in my 50s who's been through some shit, (laughs) it's a killer. (laughs) This is a different episode. This is a love story. It's very serious. Alan Alder wrote this episode. It is loosely based on the actress's life uh, who plays Kyung Soon. Her name is uh, Kyo Chin. This kind of loosely follows her own life experience in Vietnam just a few years prior to this episode being produced. So it's kind of autobiographical for her, but it is a different feel for the show. It's a different type of episode, and we do see a very tender, sensitive side to Hawkeye. The only other note that I have for this is uh, Nurse Bigelow, who is played by Enid Kent, introduces herself to the new nurse as Peggy. So I guess it's Peggy Bigelow. Peggy Bigelow. Peggy Hello, Bigelow. Peggy. So, All right. Just fun to say, Peggy Bigelow. Pegalo- <laughs> it is fun to say. Peggy Bigelow. Peggy Bigelow. Peggy Bigelow. <laughs> Moving on to change day. Okay. We have a comment from Johnny Tupelo on Twitter. My favorite is change day. I liked seeing how Charles was motivated by money and Klinger's newest scheme to stay in the army by getting a West Point appointment. In the end, neither of them got what they wanted by cheating. Another life lesson. 
Indeed. Hey, do you know who Johnny Tupelo married? No, I don't. Peggy Bigelow. <laughs> I love that. Johnny Tupelo, Peggy Bigelow. <laughs> Peter Rigard, Peter Rigard, Johnny Tupelo. Peter Rigard, Johnny Tupelo, Peggy Lee below. Peggy, Peggy Rigard. Ah, they're all. Uh, this was the uh, third and final appearance for Philip Ahn, who played Mr. Kim in this episode. He actually passed away three months later in uh, February of 78 at the age of 72. So this is the last time we'll see him. He was actually one of the few Korean actors who played Korean characters on MASH. Most of the other Asian actors who played Koreans are usually uh, Japanese or Chinese. Now, there was a th- there was a reason for that, supposedly. And there that did come up some years ago about that situation. Situation, but the reason that was given was that there was a much more um, robust supply of actors who were Japanese or Chinese who could do the parts than there were Koreans. Hmm. I, I have no reason to disbelieve that because the MASH people who were running it and casting it and directing it and producing it, except what happened to me, had any bad feelings about anybody <laughs> for any reason whatsoever. And there would have been no necessity for any kind of purposeful prejudice. So mm-hmm. um, it just was a thing that happened in the supply of actors in Los Angeles, Hmm. to my understanding. One more note, uh, in real life, this script exchange to change the color of the money, that was true. They would do that. However, they would typically never make an announcement prior to the exchange. They would just shut everything down all of a sudden and say, hey, we're swapping script because that way black marketeers couldn't get advance notice that they were going to be doing this. They wanted to make sure that they couldn't counterfeit anything. So they would just close the gates and do it. As a big surprise, they wouldn't announce it in advance like they did on this episode. So, And Richard Lee Sung makes an uncredited appearance in this episode as well. Indeed. Moving on to images, this is one of the uh, episodes that we really didn't get much listener love for. We see the return of Radar after a three-episode absence. Bert Perletsky wrote this episode. He also wrote a humor column for the LA Times, and for that column, he interviewed a tattoo artist, and he says that many of the tattoo jokes in this episode came directly from that interview. <laughs> Radar wanting to get a tattoo is you know, supposed to be a big thing. However, back in season three episode, Checkup, Radar strips to the waist for a physical with Henry and reveals a tattoo of an anchor on his arm. <laughs> he said he wanted to get a red cross, but that was $1.50, and the anchor was only 50 cents. So that's why he got the anchor. <laughs> And then Nurse Cooper, who is the nurse that Margaret tries to transfer. That won't happen, Major. Oh? I won't give you the satisfaction. From now on, I'm going to be just as tough and unfeeling as you are. Is only seen in this episode. And this is this is another little nitpicky beef I have with the MASH series. They would bring in these actors for these minor roles and they would make them the focus of the episode, and then you never see them again. <laughs> you have Nurse Cooper. Why is she only seen in this episode? And, you know, because Margaret changes her mind at the end about the transfer. So why not give that role to Enid Kent or give it to Judy Farrell, one of the nurses who were already established on the show, as opposed to bringing in a nurse that nobody knows and we're never going to see again? I get that. I, I don't know why. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't just give that role to somebody that was there. And I guess it has to do with, uh, well, I don't know. I won't even say, I guess I think I know because I don't. 
Oh, I thought we were going to get another scoop. Darn it. Yeah, I thought for a minute, I thought we were too, but it didn't come out. Uh, the Mash Olympics, Porgs Always on Instagram says, Mash Olympics, Margaret's speech is so funny. Do BJ and I have to carry this whole crummy team? <laughs> <laughs> and Steven says, my favorite Mash episode of season six in particular, because it is also my very favorite Mash episode of all time. The Mash Olympics is the episode to which I am referring. I have always been a little bit obsessive about watching the Olympics since I was a kid. Therefore, combining my favorite television show with the theme of such a special occurrence as the Olympics and actually turning it into something so funny is absolutely brilliant. I think I have seen this episode so many times, I have actually memorized which MASH characters competed for Hawkeye's yellow blackbirds and which characters are on the defeated team of BJ's pink elephants. From the clever one-liners throughout the episode to the loosely based The Tortoise and the Hare, ending with the deciding race between the chubby and slow Sergeant Ames and the fit and fast. Lieutenant Colonel Penobscot is such fun. However, the Hare Penobscot tricks himself into his own arrogance. Love it! One final note, I vacationed in Finland in 2016, and I'm happy to note that the huge tower and Olympic stadium that are visible in the old 1952 Olympics clips that they show in the MASH episode is still around. Sadly, I could not go inside the stadium because it was being renovated at the time. Hmm. I read recently that the stadium is almost completely restored and will look fantastic. Keep up the great work, guys. And as BJ says... Give him Helsinki. <laughs> yes. This episode introduced the second Donald Penobscot, who was played by Mike Henry, who was best known for Tarzan movies. He was also a pro football player, and he passed away just this past year. Michael McManus, who plays Sergeant Ames, the uh, soldier trying to lose weight, is a veteran character actor. He's appeared in many TV shows and films, probably best known for Poltergeist. But, Jeff, he also appeared in the Kentucky Fried movie. Ah, good, good film. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been impressed by the four MPs who were able to to lift the Jeep. Thanks, boys. Next time, call us. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> and then uh, there's always been issues in MASH with dates and the timeline of MASH. Colonel Potter and BJ first came to the 4077th in September of 1952. The Olympics actually happened July 19th to August 3rd of 1952. So somehow BJ and Colonel Potter arrived at the 4077th a month after the Olympics. Wow. And the only thing I have with this episode is Potter's line at the end seems so out of character for him. Boy, you are going to lose so big. This could have been said by any other major cast member, maybe except for Father Mulcahy, but I could hear Charles saying it. I could hear Margaret saying it. I, anybody could have said that, but it just doesn't seem to work for Potter that he would say that to uh, Sergeant Ames. So that's that's just one little critique, but otherwise a pretty good episode. You know, it's interesting that you have that feeling because that it's almost like you're the actor and you're going to say the line, you say the line, you say, you know, guys, uh, I don't think uh, Colonel would say this. Yeah. But you have that sensation. You have that feeling, which is interesting. That Never worked for me. Yeah. Well, darn yeah. Well, let's call him. Well, we can <laughs> shoot. Darn it. The Grim Reaper is another one that didn't really get many listener comments. Colonel Bloodworth, the appropriately named Colonel Bloodworth, the Grim Reaper, was played by an actor named Charles Aid. One little interesting note, he introduced the character of Tom Willis on the uh, series All in the Family. Uh, oh, hey, if you're looking for the Elks Club, it's down the hall. <laughs> no, they're in the right place. 
Oh, yeah? What are you, the caterer? <laughs> so what are you doing here, a white guy? I'm a guest. What are you doing here, a white guy? I'm the family's white friend. <laughs> Tom Willis would also be a character then on the spinoff, The Jeffersons. But in The Jeffersons, that character was played by Franklin Cover, but it was first introduced on All in the Family in the episode Lionel's Engagement and Charles Aid, giving a completely different take on the character of Tom Willis. Maybe that's one of the reasons he wasn't invited to reprise that character on The Jeffersons. You are so good. You know all this stuff. That is so cool. Yeah, well, you know, after minutes of extensive research on Google, I was able to find a few little nuggets of information. A lot of work. Yeah. All right. We come to another episode that had uh, quite a few comments. This is Comrades in Arms, parts one and two. I'm sorry, God, I'm afraid. Me too, so am I. I don't like being afraid, it scares me. Me too. I'd feel a lot braver if I weren't so scared. Please hold me. I'm holding you. I can't feel it. Hold me. Hold me. I'm holding you. Iceblock84 on Instagram says... Comrades in Arms had to be my favorite. After all the tension between Loretta and Alan, we finally had some closure to their relationship, and it was as wonderful as I had hoped. Emily Province on Twitter says, Comrades in Arms, when I was younger, I thought it was unfair to Margaret and made her look stupid. Now, I think it's a reflection of Margaret thinking she has to be a certain sort of woman to be appealing in a romantic context. We've seen this before. She behaves differently with friends than with lovers. I wish that she and Hawkeye could have had an honest conversation about that at some point. Real Margaret is lovable. She just doesn't seem to know that. Wow. Oh, and hey, Marie, thank you for your comment. However, you wrote a novel, and so we're not going to read it. I'm sorry, but I really, truly appreciate all your thoughts. So in this episode, we have Margaret and Hawkeye doing the deed. Holy moly. (laughs) You just woke me up, for God's sake. What the hell is going on here? Yeah, I got my own scoop here. (laughs) One thing I'll say about this episode is that for someone who is trying to hide from the enemy, Margaret does a lot of yelling. My leg doesn't work. It's stiffened up overnight. Try to move, please. He's almost here. Oh, forget it. Hide. Hide. (laughs) No radar in this episode. When Hawkeye and Margaret are taking cover in the abandoned hut, Hawkeye claims he had Japanese scotch. There is no such thing. All scotch, by definition, is whiskey made in Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) So anything made in Japan would just be whiskey. There's no such thing as Japanese scotch. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) There is a scene when the helicopter is landing with BJ and the pilot. It's obvious that the person in BJ's seat is not BJ. (laughs) It's a body double. It's a stuntman, whatever. (laughs) And then another thing that several people mentioned was that when they're doing the arterial transplant at the 8063rd, Margaret says they're using a special clamp, which was designed at the 4077th. And that's true. However, that clamp wasn't designed until the episode patent 4077, which comes later in this season. So my guess is that that episode was originally meant to air before this episode. And they would do that sometimes. They would have production order, but then they would swap the actual air dates. And this is an indication of that. All right. Uh, Also, I can relate to Hawkeye's lack of knowledge about what's under the hood of the Jeep. (laughs) This season, both Margaret and BJ refer to Hawkeye as mechanically inept. And uh, I felt that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. Thank you. And Sim Rambles on Twitter says, the merchant of Korea, BJ's best scheme of the show, getting revenge and letting everyone else in on the weddings 10-10. 
Plus, it's quotable. It is a quotable episode. There are several things that happened in this episode. Uh, Margaret's on the phone with Donald asking for an advance. Well, this episode aired directly after Comrades in Arms, where Margaret basically sours on Donald. So I think Comrades in Arms was supposed to maybe air later in the season. I wonder if maybe they were even going to stick it on at the end of the season, maybe like as a, as a season finale, because it doesn't make sense that she would be trying to please Donald after she's basically fallen out of love with Donald the, the episode before this. The $200 that Winchester loans out to BJ would have a value of about $2,000 now. And then uh, Mulcahy takes a $20 note out of his boxing glove to use in the poker game. But it's red, and that is one of the red script notes that would have been traded for blue in the episode Change Day. So <laughs> that $20 was worthless. I don't know if anybody broke it to Father Mulcahy. That's gracious. Uh, the Smell of Music. Code Kiki on Instagram says, uh, The Smell of Music because it was true testament to the difference between Hawkeye and BJ and Winchester as opposed to Hawkeye, BJ, Trapper, and Burns. Also, the Franken instrument delivered by the late, great Richard Lee Sung's peddler character. Yeah, that yeah. French horn, that giant French horn that he brings in at the end is pretty funny. Very hard to get parts, Major. I'm sure you did your best. Had to get parts from different horns, but I fit very nicely, okay? Okay. I'm going to have my eardrums pierced. There's, there's no mouthpiece. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Matthew says the smell of music. I love the contrast that Winchester brings. He's a foil to the swamp rats as Frank Burns was, but Winchester is no dummy. He's as skilled as Pearson Honeycutt, but the interactions between the three of them in this episode are priceless. I think it sets the stage for their playful competition in later episodes. Favorite line, the more you blow, the worse will grow. Classic. <laughs> and Celeste says, the smell of music is one of my all-time favorite episodes. I love how the clash between doctors affects the whole camp. The episode has so many great lines. And then in the background is a soldier who wants out of the war and out of life. Colonel Potter knows exactly how to help him realize the part that wants to live is stronger than the part that wants to end it. Even that has a hint of comic relief when Potter complains about tearing his shorts. The climax is the best as Major Winchester watches a camp soap down Hawkeye and BJ. He thinks he's won until his horn gets under the wheels of the Jeep. As punishment, the camp is confined to officers' quarters for the duration of the whiskey and the doctor's buying. <laughs> My understanding is that David Ogden Styers was actually an expert horn player in real life, and so the fact that he's playing the French horn very badly in this episode is very interesting because I'm guessing if you're a really good musician, that it's probably quite difficult to play an instrument badly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you have to be really good to be able to play it really badly. <laughs> well, he's really very do. good at it then. Yeah. <laughs> From the fashionable swamp room, high above Midtown Weijongbu, come the sadistic sounds of Doc Winchester and his old moose orchestra. Quest the musical question, why us? Okay, so patent 4077 and Legos by Gale. You know, we should do a whole show episode just reading all these names from Instagram. <laughs> anyway, Legos by Gale on Instagram says, Patent 4077. There are so many reasons to pick it. It showed just how much doctors wanted to do the best they could for their patients and would go as far as to create something. It showed the love they all had for each other in going to all the trouble to have a new ring made. Finally, an episode with Key Luke always brought an added smile. Ken says, a favorite of mine was Patent 4077, especially the scene where Klinger tells Margaret that the phony wedding ring Hawkeye and BJ bought to replace the original one that Klinger inadvertently threw out 
was not done as a joke, but to see her get her ring back. It showed Klinger did have a heart and soul to his character that you wouldn't suspect at first. Season six was the year that most of the characters got to show different sides of them. Yeah, that's true. And Chuck says... Overhill, Overdale, episode 17 will never fail. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Chuck. No radar in this episode either. Uh, Harry Morgan directed this episode. Also the first of three appearances by the actor Key Luke. He appears here as Mr. Shen. He'll go on to appear again in A Night at Rosie's and Death Takes a Holiday. Margaret yells a lot in this episode too. (laughs) And the only other thing I'll say, how did Charles have three real eggs? I thought eggs were supposed to be very rare. Good point. Yeah. Where'd he get those eggs? Yeah. Yeah. Tea and Empathy, another episode where we didn't get a lot of listener feedback. This uh, has the third and final appearance of Sal Viscuso, who plays Corporal Benny Bryant. Well, if you want his forgiveness, you're going to have to right the wrong. Oh, I'd love to. But I got a plane to catch. I'll work on it when I get home. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Let's see. Drinking, fighting, fraternizing, black market. Nope. That's it. This is his third appearance on the show. He was also in Dear Sigmund and Post Op. But Sal Viscuso, his voice is prominently featured because Sal is one of the two main voices on the PA. Yes. Yeah, Sal Viscuso and, uh, oh gosh. Todd Sussman. Todd Sussman. A really good guy, Todd. I didn't. I knew Todd a little bit because he and I used to audition for a lot of commercials uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. And whenever I go to the room and he was there, it would make me really sick because he usually got him. And it really, <laughs> really irritated me. <laughs> and if he didn't, Peter Rieger got him. Peter Rieger. Peter Rieger. That was a real mess in there yeah. for me. But Todd's a great guy, so. So Sal, he's playing three different roles. Again, here we go, bringing the same actors back to play different roles. This also happened in this episode. Neil Thompson, he plays Private Johnson, who is the morphine addict. He's going to return next season, season seven, in Rally Around the Flag Boys as the corporal who uh, attacks Hawkeye in the swamp. Mm. They just love bringing back the same actors to play different roles. Yeah. Don't know why. And then uh, guest star Bernard Fox, he was a a prolific character actor, probably best known as Dr. Bombay on Bewitched. I don't mean to be rude, but I wish you'd mind your own bloody business. Wow, cool. The next episode had quite a few listener comments as well. Your Hit Parade. And now a rhythmic room shaker requested by Corporal Max. I want to get out of here, Klinger. Uh, I'll be coming your way as soon as I put a new fang in the old tone-arm cobra. Roger Dennis on Twitter says, my favorite is your hit parade because Radar made a great DJ and I loved all the music and Triple Cranko looks like a lot of fun. Joseph Scarborough on Twitter says, your hit parade, Radar is my favorite character because he's very relatable to my younger self. When I was in eighth grade, I was one of my school's disc jockeys. So Big (laughs) Daddy O'Reilly and the constant request for Sentimental Journey bring back some fun memories for me. And Tina I vote for your hit parade. One reason right off the top is Radar's playlist. Yes, I could easily listen to Sentimental Journey 23 times, as I could too. (laughs) As the soundtrack for this wonderful episode written by Ronnie Graham, he managed to juxtapose the chaos of endless critical casualties against the swingy band tunes blaring over the PA while giving everyone in the cast a piece of the action, including himself. During a search of other episodes written by Ronnie, I discovered two more of my go-to favorites, Cave and Mr. and Mrs. Who. Wish there had been more than eight shows from this thoroughly entertaining writer. So Ronnie Graham, yes. he appears as Sergeant Gribble, who's the uh, the drunk that they bring in to do the blood transfusion. Run a drink of sentimental journeys to show me the way to go. You guys in bomb disposal? He's bombed all right. 
We didn't need headlights. His nose lit us all the way. Hey, where's my old buddy, Sergeant Zale? Zale. Zale. Hey, there you are. Hey, you're a cute little bucker, you little bucker. He was also program consultant during season six, so he actually receives three different credits in this episode. Hmm. Very memorable character he plays in this episode. Yes. As Klinger and Zale are trying to get Sergeant Gribble into the swamp, Potter says that he had seen successful transfusions with 20% alcohol. You'd be surprised. I've seen successful transfusions with 20% alcohol. So let's think about this. A lethal blood alcohol concentration is about 0.40%. Oh, yeah. So even if he got to 1% blood alcohol content, that person would be dead. (laughs) Maybe Colonel Potter was trying to say 0.20% instead of 20%. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that a successful transfusion would happen with 20% blood alcohol content (laughs) because that person would be dead and gone. Maybe happy going and dead, but dead anyway. Maybe, maybe. Let's move on to... What's up, Doc? Queen Amloth on Instagram says, What's up, Doc? The instant joy at the thought of a baby that Hawkeye and Colonel Potter have will never not make me smile, and the lengths everyone is willing to go to help Margaret. Of course, my favorite part is the way they respect Radar's pets and keep Fluffy alive. Nerve-wracking, to say the least, but when Radar gets to be Fluffy's doctor, we really get to see his caring nature. Radar definitely should be a veterinarian. Uh, Two things. One, I found it a little unsettling that they had the laugh track going during a hostage situation in this episode. (laughs) Just seemed (laughs) a little weird. I don't know. You know, I've never been a fan of the laugh track, but really, when somebody's being taken hostage, probably not the best time to pull out the laughs. (laughs) And uh, this might make you feel even worse, Jeff when I say this. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This particular episode aired on my third birthday. (laughs) Wait a minute. Let me just... (laughs) I'm fine. It's okay. (laughs) I can breathe. I can breathe. Sorry. Well, this has been a wonderful episode for Jeff Maxwell. Oh, we're not done yet. We're not done. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. So for a minute there, I was getting excited, but never mind. So this plot line of a, uh, a patient popping their cork and taking a doctor hostage happened before in the episode Deal Me Out when uh, John Ritter's character takes Frank Burns hostage with a pistol. So we had Frank and then we have Charles being taken hostage this time. The actor who played Martinson, the wounded soldier who takes Charles hostage, his name is Charles Frank. (laughs) There you go. Frank and Charles, both characters being taken hostage, and his name is Charles Frank. Charles Frank, huh? Charles Frank making his second appearance on MASH as a guest actor. First came in Dear Sigmund in season five. He was the uh, bombardier who liked to uh, drop his load and then go back home for dinner. And then how he's he's showing back up in this episode, another episode with another actor playing a different role. He was on All My Children also, Charles Frank was. That's where he met his future wife. His future wife was actress Susan Blanchard. Susan Blanchard plays Lieutenant Cooper from Images earlier this season. From now on, I'm going to be just as tough and unfeeling as you are. It all comes full circle. My only question, can you say drop his load on our podcast? (laughs) Moving on, Mail Call 3 surprisingly did not really receive much listener love also. Hmm. Same actor, different role. Oliver Clark, who plays the other Benjamin Pierce, he also appears as Hawkeye's good friend, Lieutenant Tippy Brooks, in Season 5's 38 Across. So you would think when this other character walks in, Hawkeye would have said, hey, you look like my best friend, Tippy. <laughs> Uh, Moving on to temporary duty. Uh, Bruce says, temporary duty, 
where another citizen of Mayberry shows up as Roy Dupree from 8063. It rhymes. Won't you boys put some whiskey in this punch? You were a fire eater before you were a doctor. <laughs> Shoot, down home, my mama would sprinkle this stuff on an ironing board. <laughs> have mine. Where did you get your medical degree, Dupree? Yes, I know it rhymes. University of Arkansas, 44. C.B. <laughs> Gee, I bet you were top bumpkin in your class. I love the way this boy tugs at my leg. George Lindsay. George Lindsay. Best known as Goober Pyle on The Andy Griffith Show and then Mayberry RFD. After that, he went on to appear on Hee Haw for 20 years. But he's in this episode. And you know who's really not in this episode? Hawkeye. Alan Alda, other than a brief appearance at the beginning and the ending, this is the shortest appearance of Alan Alda in MASH. He only appears in two scenes, only for about two minutes of airtime. Hmm. I love that George Lindy's character cannot get BJ's name right. <laughs> he calls him JB, JJ, BG, GG, JG, and BB. <laughs> <laughs> the course of the episode. And in this episode, Charles is adding the sign for Boston at the top of the uh, signpost in camp. But earlier episodes in season one, Boston was already on the signpost. I know Trapper had ties to Boston, and I wonder if that's why it was on there in earlier seasons. And now I love that Charles is putting it at the very top. Okay, Potter's retirement. Dan in real life on Twitter says, I'm a bit of a sucker for the episodes where the colonel got really mad at the camp. Kind of reminds me of my idol, Larry David. <laughs> yes, I always think of Larry David when I see uh, Harry Morgan. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, that surprised me. I got to the Larry David. What? Let me read that again. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow, interesting. Corporal Joel Benson, played by George Weiner, another character actor who you've seen in almost everything, probably best known as Colonel Sanders in Spaceballs. I also love him in Fletch. But he plays Joel Benson, and this is another case of a permanently assigned soldier that's never seen until he's introduced in this one specific episode, and then we never see him again. And, and Radar says that Joel Benson has been at the camp since June, but they're listening to the Kentucky Derby, and that's in May. So that means that Joel Benson has been there for almost a year, and we've never seen him before. <laughs> yeah. This is the first episode to feature BJ with a mustache, but it's a joke mustache. He drew it on for the Kentucky Derby party. Season seven, he, he grew the real one, right? Yes, yeah. yes. All right, Dr. Winchester and Mr. Hyde. Dean Bear on Twitter says, Dr. Winchester and Mr. Hyde, Charles tries to be Superman by taunting exhaustion with pep pills. It is interesting to see Charles' ego gets overtaken by amphetamines. And Randy sums up this episode, Daisy versus the U.S. Marine Corps. <laughs> The name of this episode, similar to the season two episode, Dr. Pierce and Mr. Hyde. According to Ken Levine, the four wounded Marines with the racing mouse were all named after infielders from the 1977 California Angels. <laughs> so that's uh, Romy, Saleda, Gritch, and Chalk. And uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you, this episode did not make my top three oh. because, well... Mice. <laughs> yeah, mice. Yeah, you you don't like mice, do you? I you do don't not like mice. You don't like mice. No, they, they're they started plagues. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so and that brings us to the finale of season six. Major Topper Kyle calling out Major Topper as his favorite episode because Hamilton Camp was brilliant. Boots Miller on the move here in Korea, where the men are rugged. You can see it in their voices. I'm about to interview one of these brave and courageous young soldiers. What's your name, soldier, and what do you do? 
My name is Colonel Potter, soldier, and I bust wiseacres like you. <laughs> These Brooklyn boys have a language all their own. Jeff, did you ever work with Hamilton Camp? I don't think so. But I don't okay. remember. I knew him, but I don't. Yeah, I don't think I, I probably didn't work with him. I knew him. I we crossed paths. Yeah, in the other episode that he appeared in, the moon is not blue. He would not have been in any scenes with you because his character was in a different location than the camp. He never shows up in camp. Yeah, this is his first appearance in this episode, playing Boots Miller, Klinger's crazy tentmate. Uh, which, by the way, this is the first time that Klinger has a tentmate for some reason. Up to this point, he's always had his own tent. <laughs> He appears here, and then he appears in The Moon is Not Blue, and then he also appears in Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, but it's just his voice. He is uh, legendary radio announcer Robert Pierpoint. Ah, I loved Hamilton Camp. I thought he was brilliant. He was a great character actor. I just watched an episode of Three's Company the other day where he shows up playing the perfect Hamilton Camp role. Uh, He was on WKRP in Cincinnati playing a great Hamilton Camp role. Nobody played Hamilton Camp better than Hamilton Camp. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, he was good. This is the last time we will see clean-shaven BJ. And then do you remember Viewmasters, the little toy Viewmasters with the discs? Yes. Viewmasters released a packet of reels based on this episode. So there was a MASH Viewmaster disc, and it was all based around Major Topper. Huh. Interesting. That's season six, Jeff. That's it. We we made it through it. Whew. Let me go just get my drugs and I'll be fine. <laughs> so what, what about, but what happened to your, did you say your favorite, uh, your three? First of all, let me ask you, I'm assuming that you probably don't have a top three from this season. Is that true? The entire season sucked. Okay. So I don't <laughs> care. Thanks for you people writing in, but I'm personally, I don't care. All season can go where it should go. All right. My top three coming at number three, the Winchester tapes. Number two is your hit parade. And my number one for season six, my favorite episode of season six, it had everything, including Sydney war of nerves, but that's the last we're going to talk about season six, Jeff. (laughs) We're not going to live in the past. We're going to look to the future and (laughs) the future sometime in the next two or three years, we will do our season seven recap. Aha! And Private Igor will return in season seven. <laughs> yes. Well, it was good to take a little time off. I did other things. You know, there were other pilots and shows. I wasn't just uh-huh. laying around sobbing every day. <laughs> so I had I had stuff to do. Okay, but, good. Uh, I'm yeah. good. But okay. it was very good to get back. Well, I'm glad we could all relive it for you today in this episode <laughs> of you. MASH Matters. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your comments. Thank you to all of our Patreon VIPs. We will give you a salute in our next episode because we've been talking for way too long in this episode. But you know who you are. And uh, we'll be back. We have some cool things on the horizon because, Jeff, we are now in the year that MASH turns 50. This is big. This is very, very big. And I want to make a special apology to Alan Alda, Gary Berghoff, Peter Riegert, and anybody else that I offended (laughs) or pretended that I knew what they were talking about or thinking about when I actually didn't. But I think I did anyway. So, but I apologize. (laughs) We should pretty much put that disclaimer at the end of every episode. Probably, (laughs) shouldn't we? It'll be helpful to us legally when everybody (laughs) sues us. Yes. All right. Until next time, here's looking up your old address. Keep the home fires burning while your hearts are yearning.